Thank you for tuning in to RTM Nation Online, where we believe that you will receive the abundance of peace, prosperity, security, stability, health, healing, and truth. If you would like to learn more about the ministry, click the link below. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Now let's get into the message. We're going we're gonna to start off today with me talking about something from last week. And the reason why I'm going to include this today is that it's something I believe will be beneficial for you all. We're always talking about decision change. We're talking about making sure we don't hold ourselves in condemnation and whatnot. So this is going to be a very simple example, but prayerfully what it does, it gives you an opportunity to see how I address things, and prayerfully it'll be a life lesson for you. Can I get that first slide, please? Last week, and you have to understand something about me, I am, as my wife would say, I'm anal. I'm particular. And now there's a lot of other words she could call me other than anal, so I'm, I'm glad she stopped there. <laughs> but last week, we were talking about forgiving yourself. And we're talking about forgiving, forgiving yourself. I got to a point where I read 2 Corinthians 517 in the Amplified Classic. And that's the one that says, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation, right? We took a sidestep and we talked through Paul. The discussion was, you know, can God deal with our bad history? Well, we said if God can deal with Paul's bad history, Saul's bad history, make him Paul, that we should be good to go. Then I said, because my son, after service, he said, Dad, you know, you made an error on your scripture references. And at first I was like, you know, your mama. <laughs> but I went back, <laughs> I went back and listened to it. And after I came back through here, through Acts, I said, now go back to 2 Corinthians 14. Well, there is no 2 Corinthians 14, but I have to explain to you what, how it was written in my notes. Next slide. In my notes, I have it linked back to going back to chapter 5. So when I said go back to 14, what I'm saying is go back to verse 14 in chapter 5. Now, that's my error. The guys running the screen don't know that. They think I asked for 2 Corinthians 14. Nona, you know that. And so here I am listening to the audio, and I'm like, well, doggone. And now understanding me is it, irritating, very irritating, because why? That's a mistake. <laughs> and I know I've made them, but, you know, it's irritating. So what, what does this have to do with us? Go to the next slide, please. Let's use this to talk about life lessons. First thing I had to do was let it go. <laughs> I had to let it go. And when I say let it go, I mean my wife was actually in the room saying, you ain't the first person <laughs> to do that kind of thing. I said, I know, but under understand it's my makeup. So I have to let it go. When you make an error, guys, you got to, just, you got to let it go. Yeah. But then one thing I always do in my life is after I let it go, I look at the situation and I establish controls. What a control is, a control is a mechanism that makes sure the process runs itself. It takes you out of the equation the best way it can so that that error is forced not to happen again. Here are two controls that I put in for that. Go to the next slide. Go down. The, the controls... Down to the next slide. Well, when they get it, there's two, there's two controls. The first control is when I publish something to my device, which I hold up in my hand, I put it in my system to where at the top of my device, before I publish it, it says, make sure that you check for both chapter and verse on every scripture. Now, that's a passive control. It's like 55 miles per hour. It tells you what it is, but it don't stop you. But it's passive. 
I'm also going to institute an active control. An active control is something that reacts in spite of you. My active control is you. If ever you're here and I say something like 2 Corinthians 14 and you hear it and you're looking for it and you don't see it, I might be into a point, like I might be vain out my neck. I might be like spitting and giving it to it. But when I'm done, say, Pastor, um, there is no 2 Corinthians 14. Really? Everyone, leadership, don't, because the audio goes places. And unlike us, there may be somebody listening to it that does not know and so I want to make sure, oh, there we go. So I want to make sure that. Now, what does that have to do with you? If you decide that, hey, listen, I want to, whatever it is, I want to lose weight. And for whatever reason, you keep slipping up. You got to let it go. Then establish some controls. What is a passive control? A passive control can just be a sticker on your mirror every day that says, I'm looking forward to seeing the new me. That's not going to stop you from eating three donuts and not going to the gym. It ain't going to stop that, but it's passive. Then an active control. I'm going to get with somebody, and they're going to hold me accountable to what I do. That's an active control. That's something in spite of you that's going to work. Go by your house, knock on the door. I don't see you walking today. <laughs> now, you can't shoot your active control. <laughs> My wife asked me to be an active control for her once, and she bit my head off like you and I said, wait, but you asked me to do this. Now, she apologized later, but life lesson. Amen? Amen. All right. Forgiving God. You know, we save this one for the end for a reason. And we won't get through this today. But let's get started. You know, forgiving God is a very tough topic. And it's a tough topic because if you're not careful, the points of discussions can get away from you. They can run wild because, you know, partly that, that term, forgiving God, that one term, that's abstract. It's somewhat abstract. In other words, for example, if I have an issue with a person, if we have an issue, you know, I can sit down across the table with a person and physically work out my differences. We don't have that luxury with God. Instead, when we're dealing with God, the person, the individual, one must work out his or her feelings with the party that they cannot look at or physically see. Go to Exodus 33, starting in verse 20. Because when we're dealing with God, you know, the party on the other side that he or she can't, can't see makes it a little different for us as human beings. Exodus 33, verse 20. In the Old Testament, Moses asked to see God once, and this was God's reply, King James Version. And he, meaning God, said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall be no man see me and live. God went on to tell him, he said, Listen, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you and put you in the cliff of a rock. And when I pass by, I'll put my hand over the cleft, and when I go by, I'll move my hand so you can see my glory from behind. And God concluded in verse 23 by saying this, and I will take, mine take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, King James Version. In the New Testament, this sentiment is given this way. And just reading the beginning of that, verse 12, it says, No man has seen God at any time. 
So working out your hurt and your pain and your anger with God is challenging. It's challenging because you don't have that other individual on the other side that you can look at. You don't have that other individual on the other side that, you know, you can grab. You don't have that person on the other side that you can yell at. You do not have a person that you can identify, a person of record that you can identify as being, quite frankly, the reason for your issue. Another thing about being upset with God, you know, when you're upset with another person, it's, it's one thing. But when you're upset with God, realize that that's also a little, a little challenging because there is no available arbitrator for your, for your, for your issue. There is no other higher authority that you can go to for resolution because your argument is with God. Your angst, your, your, your upsetness is with God. So there is no higher court you can go to for resolution. When I try to compare what we've discussed previously with actually being in a position where we're going to talk about forgiving God, the closest parallel that I can find to what we've discussed to having a true God issue is self-condemnation. Because when you're dealing with self-condemnation, there is no other individual, no other human that you can identify as being the source of your issue. When dealing with self-condemnation, the source of your emotional turmoil cannot be pinned on another human. Very similar to when you have an issue with God. There is no human that you can pin that concern on. Bringing it closer to what we're talking about in particular, family, the Bible does not direct us to forgive God. And I believe I know why. The concept of a person forgiving God implies that somehow God has made an error regarding that individual. It implies that God has been unjust or God has done something wrong. If we were to try to conclude that, that would be false. Go to Psalms 145, verse 17 in the Message Bible. To even think that God has been unjust or has done something wrong, any implication along those lines would be false. Psalms 145, 17 message says, everything God does is right. The trademark on all his works is love. To be blunt and just come right at you with it, God does not need your forgiveness. God does not need my forgiveness. Family, God does not need our forgiveness. Furthermore, if we were to even overestimate our abilities, we would be wrong to presume that we are even capable of being judge and jury against God. Pastor, you say all these things, so are you telling me that releasing these bad feelings I have against God is an exercise I need not even go into? Since God don't need our forgiveness, Pastor, are you saying that this topic has any merit? 
I am saying absolutely this topic has merit. It has merit. Quite frankly, it has merit because if I didn't believe it had, had merit, we'd be moved on to something else. I wouldn't even be bringing it up. But it has merit. Why does it have merit? It has merit because at the end of it all, the concept of forgiving God carries the same basic objective as when it comes to deliver to forgiving yourself and others. The goal of forgiveness is to clear the heart from unpleasant, negative feelings and make more room for the love of God to thrive. Remember that forgiveness, and we've said this before, I'm going to put it a little different today. But we've said this before, forgiveness is about you. It is not about the party on the other side with whom your negative feelings are attached. Whether your negative feelings are attached to another person, whether your negative feelings are attached to you, whether your negative feelings are attached to God, forgiveness is about you. Forgiveness is not about the party on the other side to whom your negative feelings are attached. So where do we begin? We begin digging into this topic of forgiving God by going through seven fundamental aspects of his nature. I figure if we're going to be talking about God, it's best that we have a common understanding of who he is. Will these elements we discuss form a complete list? No. There is a lot of facets to God. And it doesn't surprise me. I'd even say it. There's facets to God that we won't even know till we meet him. The Bible's a finite book, but we serve an infinite God. Even though it doesn't form a complete list, though, this list does capture key items concerning God's character. Item number one. By the way, lots of scripture today. So if you're taking notes, do your hand exercise now. Talking about seven key elements of God's character. Number one, God is true to his word. Go to Psalms 89, verse 34. King James Version, it reads, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Go to James chapter 1, verse 17. King James Version. Talking about God is true to his word, it reads like this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Let me hit you with that from the voice. The voice version of the Bible says this. Every good gift bestowed, every perfect gift received comes to us from above. Courtesy of the father of lights. He is consistent. He won't change his mind. Or play tricks in the shadows. God is true to his word. He won't play games with you. No tricks with him. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. King James Version. Verse 24. For all flesh is as grass. And all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth. And the flower therefore, therefore falleth, thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. Amen. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. 
endureth forever. Go to Isaiah 46, verse 9, King James Version. Isaiah 46, verse 9, King James. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. How bad is that boy right there? I am so confident in my word being true, I can stand here today and declare something 12 years from now, and you better get there in 12 years and expect it to be there. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Go to Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 in the message Bible. It starts off this way. God means what he says. Oh, suck it now. God means what he says. That alone is a whole hour's worth of message right there. God means what he says. He's true to his word. God means what he says. What he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or offense, Laying us open to listen and obey. Even if you got offense with the father, if you let his word get in there like a surgeon, he'll repair that heart. Whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. So when it comes to God being true to his word, his word is true, eternal, and unchangeable. Family, God is going to do what he said he was going to do. If we put that kind of in a layman's phrase, we would apply it like this. God says what he means, and he means what he says. Number two, God is greater and wiser than people. Go to Isaiah 55, verse 8 in the King James Version. Starting in verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We can't put the mind of God into our rationale. The mind of God is so far beyond where we are or where we can even get to that how how bold of us to even step out and presume that we can be judge and jury against him. Those same verses of scripture in the Message Bible, Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work, God's decree. For as the sky, sco the sky soars high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. The way I think is beyond the way you think. The voice version of the Bible says the eternal one says this. My intentions are not always yours. And I do not go about things as you do. My thoughts and my ways are above and beyond you. Just as far as heaven is, just as heaven is far above your reach here on earth. So my ways are just much higher than yours. Romans 11, starting in verse 33. The Message Bible. It starts this way. 
Have you ever come on anything quite like this extravagant generosity of God? This deep, deep wisdom. It's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. Is there anyone around who can explain God? Anyone smart enough to tell him what to do? Anyone who has done him such a huge favor that God has to ask for his advice? Everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. Always glory. Always praise. Yes, yes, yes. Is there anyone smart enough that God got to ask his advice? We don't think so. Because God is wiser than people. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, Amplified Classic. God is greater and wiser than people. First Corinthians 22, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, Amplified Classic. For a while, Jews demandingly asked for signs and miracles and Greeks pursued philosophy and wisdom. We preach Christ, the Messiah crucified, preaching which to the Jews is a scandal and an offensive stumbling block that springs a snare or trap. And to the Gentiles, it is absurd and utterly unphilosophical nonsense. But to those who are called, whether Jew or Greek, Gentile, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is because the foolish things that has its source in God is wiser than men. And the weak thing that springs from God is stronger than men. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 25 in the Message Bible, it says human wisdom is so tiny so impotent next to the seemingly absurdity of God, human strength can't begin to compete with God's weakness. The strongest aspect of us can't even compete with the weakest aspect of God. The third element of God's nature, God is all-knowing. Psalms 139, chapter, chapter 139, verse 4. Psalm 139, verse 4, King James Version. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knoweth it altogether. That same verse in the voice version of the Bible says, you know what I'm going to say long before I say it. It is true, eternal one, that you know everything and everyone. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 6, Amplify Classic. When God had sent Samuel looking for the next king, he went to Jesse's family. And he hadn't seen David yet, the shepherd boy. He saw, he saw one of Jesse's boys that was tall in stature, looked like a king, looked like royalty, looked like he should be the next one. It said, when they had come, he looked on Eliab, the, the eldest son, and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, look not on his appearance or at the height of his stature, for I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. First King chapter eight, verse 39 in the Amplified Classic. Reads this way. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to every man according to his ways, whose heart, you know. For you know and you only know the hearts of all the children of men. 
God is able to look into the heart of a person. <coughs> Proverbs 15, verse 3, Amplified Classic. What does, it, what does it have to say about our all-knowing God? It says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch upon the evil and the good. He's watching everything. He sees everything. Why? Because he's the all-knowing God. Psalm 147, verse 5, King James Version. I love the way this ends. It says, great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. His understanding has no bounds, no limits. His understanding is infinite. Item number four in his nature, God is almighty. Go to Genesis chapter one, verse one, King James Version. How mighty is God? Well, it says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. I always say when somebody talking to me about the Big Bang Theory, I said, and God said, let there be light. And he said, bang. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. Talking about the almighty God, King James Version, it says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. And there is nothing too hard for thee. Why? Because you're almighty God. There is nothing too hard for you. Exodus 14. Starting in verse 15, King James Version. God's talking to Moses here. And Moses and, and, and the Cherin are getting chased by Pharaoh and they're coming up against the Red Sea. And the Lord said unto Moses, wherefore crieth thou unto me? Speak to the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift up thine rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Jump into verse 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land. That don't even sound right to your mind that he made the sea dry land. By the way, overnight, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Joshua chapter 10, King James Version, verse 12. Our God has stopped the sun and the moon before. Verse 12 says, Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jashir? So the sun stood still in the midst of the heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. Stop the sunrise and the sunset for about 24 hours. Almighty, I'd say indeed. Matthew 28. <laughs> Verse 18, King James Version. 
This is what our resurrected Savior had to say. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Father, Son, Almighty. That's another nature. Number five, God is merciful. Psalm 100, starting in verse 1, King James Version. Talking about this merciful God. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Mercy is part of God's nature. And there are many scriptures that can identify this as being a part of God's nature. But for this particular number, this number five, where we're talking about his, his nature is merciful, we're going to stop at that one scripture Psalms 100, because when we talk about his upcoming nature, we will see that his upcoming nature and being merciful go hand in hand. Number six, God is love. Go to Ephesians chapter two, verse four, King James Version. As we read through these next scriptures that identify God's love, I want you to recognize that it is unavoidable to talk about God's mercy without also talking about his love. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, King James Version. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace we are saved. Same chapter, but verses 1 through 6 in the Message Bible. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You lived, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing. When we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, everybody say instead. Instead, instead immense in mercy and with an incredible love. God embraced us. He took our sin dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. A merciful, loving God did that. Romans chapter 8, verse 5, King James Version. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a discussion about love and mercy right there. And it links right into that scripture we know so well, John 3.16. <coughs> Go there. John 3, 16, King James Version. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Please turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. 
starting in verse 7, King James Version. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For what does that last part say? For God is love. Say that again. God is love. He is love. Go to Exodus chapter 34, verse 1 in the Message Bible. God is speaking to Moses here. Moses had a little issue with the tablets, Ten Commandments, breaking them and stuff. So here we go. God spoke to Moses, cut out two tablets of stone just like the originals and engrave on them the words that were on the original tablets you smashed. A little side note there. Notice that God wants you to mess up, clean up what you messed up. I want you, Moses, to carve out two more tablets and you write on them tablets what I had wrote on there before, before you broke them. <laughs> Mama, stop picking up after your child, after everything. Oh they mess up, they need to clean up. Yes. Parents, as you're raising your children, you do them a disservice. If you are hand and feet after every little thing that they do without making them responsible. Amen. But that's another topic. Cut out two tablets of stone just like the originals and engrave on them the words that were on the original tablets you smashed. Be ready in the morning to climb Mount Sinai and get set to meet me on the top of the mountain. Not a soul is to go with you. The whole mountain must be clear of people, even animals. Not even sheep or oxen can be grazing in front of the mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone, just like the originals. He got up early in the morning and climbed Mount Sinai as God had commanded him. Carrying the two tablets of stone, God descended in the cloud and took up his position there beside him and called out the name, God. God passed in front of him and called out, God, God, a God of mercy and grace, endlessly patient, so much love, so deeply true, Loyal in love for a thousand generations, forgiven iniquity, rebellion and sin. So God is, is, is loving. He's patient. He's dishing out love for generations. Oh, but I like this other part, too. Still, everybody say still. Still, still he doesn't ignore sin. Amen. He doesn't not see it. Love is not just, oh, baby, it's okay. So when we say God is love, we realize that there's a soft, kind part to love. But know this, God is love, and God does not just ignore sin. Sometimes love has a little coarseness to it to get you what you need to be. Still, he doesn't ignore sin. He holds sons and grandsons responsible for a father's sin to the third and even the fourth generation. Number seven, our final one. God is eternal and remains the same. God is eternal family. And he remains the same. Psalm 90, verse 2, King James Version, reads this way. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Psalm 102 Verse 24 in the King James Version. 
I said, oh, my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. Of old, thou hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of thy hand. They shall perish, but thou shall endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment as a vest, as a vestiture shalt thou change them and they shall be changed. But thou art the same and thou years shall have no end. God is eternal and he remains the same. Go to Hebrews chapter 13, verse eight, King James Version. A note about Jesus here. It says simply, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Revelation, Revelation chapter one, verse eight. King James Version. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. He's eternal. He remains the same. Go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. King James Version. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Our God is eternal and remains the same. We've gone through several scriptures and we've gone through seven key elements of his nature. I know we went through them rapidly. So prayerfully, you got them all. If you did not, please. Listen to them on the audio. When we think of God being eternal and remaining the same, what we're saying is, family, God is consistent across time. Amen. And because he is consistent across time, hold this comment close, it's going to come at you. Because he's consistent across time, his attributes are a part of him and will remain a part of him whether we like them or not. Once again, just to read them back to you, these seven key elements of his nature we've talked about. We said God is true to his word. He is greater and wiser than people. If we wanted to personalize that, we could say he is greater and wiser than we are. He is all-knowing. He is almighty. He is merciful. He is love. He is eternal and remains the same. Another realization we must come to when it comes to God being the same is that he will always be who he said he is. God will not be who mankind thinks he should be. God will not be who society believes he should be. God will not just simply be who you or I want him to be. God is and always will be God his way. If I were to say that different and try to say it as simple as possible where we can get some framework around it, I would say it this way. God. God is the God described in the Bible. He is not the God of popular opinion. One more time. God is the God described in the Bible family. 
He is not the God of popular opinion. You know, prayerfully, everything that we've talked about through this session has given us a common understanding about God's nature. That he is all of those things, ranging from love to being almighty to being all-knowing to being merciful to being eternal to remaining the same being true to his word. Prayerfully hearing those things has gotten us at least to common ground because if, we, if we're going to talk about God, we have to talk about him from a view of having the same understanding about who he is. With that common understanding as the backdrop, we're going to go further in the upcoming weeks in this discussion and this topic about forgiving God. And I, I so hope you join us. Let's pray. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you. If you would like to help us further expand the vision, simply text the word GIVERTM to the number 41444 or visit us online at www.revealingtruth.org. Now remember, Jesus loves you.